0: Father we, uh, we love you Lord, we're, we are reliant on you. God, we need you to, to come and to infiltrate our hearts. God to, to open our ears just to prepare us to receive your word. God I just thank you for just the wonders of, of every single word in the Bible that everything is valuable, that everything can be used for teaching and encouraging and Lord, building us up as disciples of you. So God, help us do that. Help us be better disciples of you and know what to do when we feel maybe alone or abandoned or, or distant from you, Lord. And just may you be glorified through this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so did we get this? Okay, sweet. Yeah, we got the slides. That's great. Um, so slides will be up there. Psalm 42. As a deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while all day long people say to me, where is your God? I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God, with joyful and thankful shouts. Why am I so depressed? Why this turmoil within me? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. I am deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All of your breakers and your billows have swept over me. The Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? My adversaries taunt me as if crushing my bones, while all day long they say to me, where is your God? Why am I so depressed? Why this turmoil within me? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. And so this is what's known as a psalm of lament. And there are a ton of these in the book of Psalms. Uh, In fact, I think maybe a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. And the basic definition of of lament, if you don't know, because honestly, I couldn't define it before I started doing this, is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. A passionate expression of grief or sorrow. And sometimes I think we as Christians might convince ourselves that lamenting or mourning or grieving is actually bad. We convince ourselves that it's bad. And I think that it, it's an idea that maybe is becoming less and less popular within the church, even culturally. Um, but nonetheless, we can still deceive ourselves into thinking that this is a bad thing to do. And I think the reason that we do this, and I know I do this myself, is because we convince ourselves that to lament or to mourn or to grieve would be to doubt God. It means that we're not putting our trust in God. We're not, we're not hoping in God we can just tell ourselves, well, why don't you just find joy? The Bible tells you to find joy even in your suffering. So just find joy, be joyful, get over it, quit complaining. But the Bible, I don't think, teaches that. I think the Bible is full of God-honoring lamenters. David, for example, like we just said, wrote many of the psalms, and a lot of those psalms were psalms of lament. He was, a, he was very good at lamenting and, and did it quite often. We have the prophet Jeremiah who wrote the book of Lamentations, which if you've never looked at the spelling closely is Lamentations. He was pretty good at that. He did that often as a prophet. And then of course, Jesus, even Jesus at the death of his friend or or pleading out and crying to God in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he did this. And so we even see our King Jesus did not hold back his grieving in front of the Father. And I want you to know that God welcomes your grief. God welcomes your lamenting. He's not scared of it. It doesn't offend him. He welcomes it because he cares about us. He cares about what we're going through. He cares about how we feel. Because longing for God can be really hard as a Christian. I think that might be one of the the chief battles that we have to face is longing for God in a broken world, in a sinful world, in a world where, where God's fullness cannot dwell Longing for God can be hard. And we see the psalmist says at the start of his psalm, verse one, as a deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? And it's not obviously we see that he just kind of wants God. It's that he needs God. He likens it this picture of a deer longing for water. Water is like, I think, second to oxygen, probably our most dire, instant physical need. So my mom is a nurse, and and do we have any nurses in here? Or any nursing school? No? Okay, so you guys can't correct me. That's fine. So my mom's a nurse, and she used to always, uh, she, she told me one time, I don't know why, but there's this thing called the rule of threes, a rule of threes in survival. So you can go, generally, three minutes without oxygen, three days without water in three weeks, without food. So water is a very, very pressing need. You can only go up to three days without it in the right conditions. Dehydration can lead to very quick suffering, very painful suffering. I mean, I was just trying to do some research about it and it's just completely, your body shuts down all functions. Dehydration can lead to quick suffering. And likewise for the Christian, I think feeling distant from the nourishment of God, thirsting for God, but not feeling like we're not getting it, can be utter suffering. And so in this psalm, I, I think it lays out a couple ways that we can respond to this feeling of distance from God. And so I just have four responses out of the text that we're going to go over and, and how we can respond. And this isn't, um, you know, the whole list. There's more ways, but I think just out of the text, this is, good to take away. So number one, the first thing we can do, and I would argue chronologically, the first thing we should do is to challenge your heart. To challenge your heart. Verse 5 and verse 11 at the beginning of both of them say, why am I so depressed? Why this turmoil within me? And so here the psalmist is having a monologue with himself. He's pressing into his own feelings. He refuses to run away from them, but he also refuses to just sit and stay stagnant in them. And so he takes his turmoil to God, but he also looks at it and forces himself to answer a question, forces his own heart to think about why he feels this way. And many of us miss this mark. Many of us miss this, and I think it might be one of the biggest reasons that, that we feel overcome by our, our distress. And I, I would say me personally, I had mentioned the two ways that we don't do this. I fall into both of them. I'm somebody who really likes to run away from feelings and emotions, anything that is gonna like make me think introspectively about my, i run away from. So if I'm sad, I just avoid it. And I think maybe if I just avoid it for long enough, then it'll go away forever. And if you've ever done that, you know that's not the case. It might go away for a little bit, but what consistently happens to me is after putting it off, For so long, running away from it for so long, it comes back in a huge crashing wave and and crushes me. And I really just kind of roll into a ball of apathy and don't care anymore. And it takes a true measure of God's grace to get me out of it. Because I've run away for so long. I've built up so much, not allowing myself to feel, not allowing myself to grieve, that it just overcomes me. But we see here the psalmist doesn't do that. He challenges Himself. And he asks himself those introspective questions. And I think some of these questions maybe are kind of obvious, like, you know, it, when you say something out loud sometimes and then you, you realize the answer as soon as you say it out loud, that might be the case. But I think a lot of these questions can be answered through Scripture. One of the many beautiful things about Scripture is it teaches us something about ourselves. The Scripture can speak into our lives. We see Hebrews. is a beautiful passage. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the ideas and the thoughts of the heart. Opening up the word and getting in the word in a time of great sorrow or grief or distance from God, first off, is a way to just glean God's words right there. If you feel distant, that's a great way to kind of close that gap a little bit. But even advance beyond that, it may give us answers to why we feel a certain way. And this doesn't have to be done by yourself either. Obviously, we've been given this beautiful gift of the church. We get to do this life together with each other. And so, sure, you could sit there by yourself, but why not make it better and go talk to other people? Get together with your spouse or your friend or your mentor. Share with them what's going on. I've found a lot of times other people have perspectives into our lives that, that we just simply can't see and are able to, to speak things into our lives that we would have never understood. And there are all sorts of ways that we can challenge our heart. We can do it with, with a friend. We can get into the Word. We can fast. We can pray. All sorts of spiritual disciplines and all sorts of ways that we can look introspectively. But the challenge is actually doing it. That's the challenge. Number two is to ask God why. Ask God why. Verse 9 says, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? And on the surface, this might sound kind of similar to what we had just done, but but follow the flow of the psalm with me. These are a couple of the things that we know. So obviously we know the psalmist is downcast, he's called himself depressed, he's going through something at a distance from God. We see that he's challenged himself. That's what we just went over. Why is this turmoil within me? But then we actually, if we look further in the psalm and, and analyze it, we, we kind of get at least part of the answer as to why he feels this way. In verse 2, it seems that it seems that he can't enter into the place that he worships. And then in verse 3, it feels like his enemies are mocking him for it. They're asking, where is your God? Your God who you claim loves you, where is he now that you feel alone and that you can't worship him? And then in verse seven, he explains with this metaphor about feeling crushed wave after wave. He feels like there's no end in sight to the suffering and to this distance. And so the psalmist has an understanding of why he feels like this, so it's good to get a perspective of why we may feel a certain way, but that may not always answer the question. And so it's good to even ask the question and grieve and wonder, God, why is this happening? God is okay with this question. I think this is a question that maybe people are scared of asking, that we think, oh, well, You know, God is God. We shouldn't even ask this question. We should never question him. But this is just riddled throughout the scriptures of people pouring out their hearts before God. We can be sad. We can be angry. We can be confused or depressed and genuinely ask these questions as a response. And God is willing to listen. But I want to point out an example of how Jesus did this. In Hebrews 5, 7, it says this. This is referring, talking about Jesus. During his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. And so Jesus cried out, asking the Father to take away the suffering to come in the Garden of Gethsemane. But he also prayed and asked that God's will would be done. And in doing that, had an understanding that God's will, God's ways are higher than our ways. And so that's what I want us to remember when we challenge God. I don't want us to think that we have to have it all together emotionally, that we can't ask tough questions, that we can't just cry out to God and wonder why these things are happening. But I want this to bring us to a place of reverence. Just the act of doing this can help us understand that God's ways are greater than our ways, that we may not understand God's purposes, but will still seek his will regardless. And this reminds me of, of one of my favorite exchanges in the Bible. It's in Daniel 3. It's where the three men, Shadrach, Neshach, and Abednego, they're faced with death. They're faced with a fiery furnace because they refuse to bow down to King, King Nebuchadnezzar's idols. They were told that if they didn't do it, they would be thrown in the fire. They didn't do it. And so they're faced with this reality of being thrown in this blazing furnace. And this is their response to the threat of death. In Daniel 3, 17 and 18. If it be so, our God who is, whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So we know that God can deliver us. We are confident, we trust that God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, God is still good and God is still worth following and We cling on to that fact. So we actually see something here when the psalmist cries out to God in verse nine, he says, I will say to God, my rock. I will say to God, my rock. And it, it might feel weird when he calls God his rock right before he presses in and challenges him. Feels like a little bit of a, of a clash of ideals, uh, but just listen to what this commentary Enduring word commentary says about, about this. It says, the more experienced saint knows there is no contradiction it was because he regarded God as his rock that he could pour out his soul before him so honestly. And so since God cares about us, because God cares about us, because God is our rock, we are able to pour out our heart to him. Honestly, genuinely, openly. It is because he is God that we are able to do that. And we have number three. Number three is to remember better days. Just remember better days. Verse four says, I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with with many leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. Have any of you guys ever like, played a sport before, a team sport, and you just lose like a difficult game, lose a hard game, and you come into the locker room and your coach says, you know, team, I want you to remember this feeling. Remember this bad taste in your mouth that you have right now. Then why is that? Because probably he says, well, when, when, when you're feeling lazy, when you're feeling unmotivated during practice, remember how you feel right now after this loss. Remember that you don't like this feeling, that you need to work harder, in order to avoid this feeling, again, you, you need to work harder in order to not have to feel this again. And, and I almost think of it in this light, except for reverse. Right? We see that instead of remembering something bad, the psalmist remembers good memories. The good memories take him back to God's faithfulness and take him back to a time of not feeling distant from God and worshiping God. Of joyous times, festivals, feasts. And so at times where we find ourselves distant from God, we can remember those times. Remember the, the time when God's glory and God's grace first captivated your heart. Remember what that felt like, first tasting the goodness of God for the first time. Remember that feeling. Remember when your friend or your family or family member first came to Christ and, and the overwhelming sense of joy that you had because of that. And even better yet, we can remember when God brought us out of a place of distance or grief. If you're a Christian, I'm sure that that has happened to you before. I'm sure that there have been times where you have felt distant from God, where you felt far from God, and then you've returned to not feel that anymore. God has restored that. And this is one of the reasons that I've really enjoyed journaling. Over the summer, I just started journaling and it's not like not like Bible study journaling, like writing down what I'm reading necessarily. I mean, that, that's good, I do that. But journaling in a way and just writing whatever comes to your mind. Right now, I mean, if, if you're having a bad day, if you're having a good day, if you're contemplating something hard, just write down whatever is going on in your life. I've been doing that for a little bit now and, and I look forward to reflecting on the times that God has worked in my life, reflecting on the times of of great joy in the spirit, of feeling very close to God. Something that could be even more encouraging is remembering a difficult time that Christ provided for you in. A time of sorrow where God comforted you. Maybe a season of, of apathy that God dug you out of. A time where God's presence felt like it wasn't there. And then he made his presence felt. And so I encourage you to remember these times. You can do it through journaling, through taking pictures. You guys are creative. You can do it through really any other way that you want to. But remember these times so that in times where you feel like God's presence isn't there, we're able to look back and understand that God does not break his promises and his promises, promise is to never leave us, to never forsake us, to always be with us. And so if you're able to take inventory of those times, you'll be able to look back and rem- be reminded that God may not be all that distant. Even if you feel it in your heart, he may not be all that distant and he may be returning soon. And the last thing we have is number four, to put your hope in Christ. The last one is to put your hope in Christ. The psalmist ends his lament with verse 11. So we've gone over the first part. Why am I so depressed? Why this turmoil within me? Put your hope in God for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. So even when we do all these things and nothing seems like it's working, Nothing seems like it's working. We've gone through the steps. We still feel distant from God. We can still hope in God. We can still hope in the present and we can hope in the future. We can put our hope in God, that he is good, that he has the power to save us, that he loves us, that he cares about us, that he won't forsake us, that we are truly forgiven, that we have truly been made new creations in Christ. And we can seek Comfort in him. And verse 8 says, The Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. And so even in times of great trauma, we can trust that God's faithfulness will not run short. And my prayer for you today is to find hope in both the things today and also the things to come. And I think we do this by holding the things of today open-handedly, with hope open-handedly. But we cling on to the promises to come that God will fulfill. So I, I, don't, know, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be on this earth. I don't know when I'm going to die. I don't know how I'm going to die. I don't know what the future has for me. I have hopes, but I hold those hopes open-handedly. I hope that Stephanie and I will have beautiful children who love the Lord and make more children who love the Lord. I hope that our our Buffalo church plant will go and create disciples who make disciples, who plant churches all over the country, all over the world. I have these hopes, and those are good hopes. Those are godly hopes. But I hold them open-handedly because those are not the fullness of God's promise. I cling on to the hope that God is coming back. I cling on to the promise that while these hopes may not come true, the hopes that I hold on to, that God is coming back, that he will restore the earth, that he will take all pain and suffering away, that he will, that he will break all uh, presence divide that will be in the full presence of him, I hold on to that because he has promised that and it, and it will happen. And this is all because of Jesus, family. This is all because... Of Jesus. The reason that we have hope is because of Jesus. So during this Advent season, the season that celebrates the coming of Jesus, let us cling on to the hope of what Jesus has done that he came to earth, he left the throne of heaven, came to this broken earth, lived the perfect life, died the death that we deserve became the atonement for our sin and resurrected to new life to give us new life. We cling on to that, that that is true. But let us take also hope in the fact that Jesus is coming back. There will be a second advent. It is not just the first, but he will come back and he will restore and make all things new. And so you might be the person who says here, you know, I've gone through this. I've tried to go through the steps. I've tried to do all this, um, and it just doesn't go away. It just, I'm, just in a, I'm in a long season of just horrible depression or just feeling distant from God. It's been happen- happening to me to, from weeks or months or years, and I just don't know what to do. I've tried all the steps. I've cried out to God, and it's not working. And really, I'm not here to tell you that if you go through these steps, that it's going to magically work like that. I think these steps, they could work. They could also just grow you immensely. I don't know the ways of God perfectly. But what I do know is the plan of God to come and to restore the earth. That even if you're broken right now, you feel broken right now. If you feel distant from God, that God is going to come back. And that all of his children are going to be able to worship him in his fullness. There will be no more distance between us and God. And so let us take heart and take hope in that. And uh, yeah, let us worship like we have that hope. Pray with me.